Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. It's radio show exchange program where Blake does Raptor show. William Liu is going to do our show. Uh, he's at an event uh, with Gary Trent Jr. right now. How's it going, Will? What's going on? I'm actually home. Oh, you're home. You made it home. Congratulations. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was a lot, very rainy outside, so I made sure to get home, get on a good connection for you guys. You sound spectacular. The, this mess of a trade deadline. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, you've had some time to digest it because I know you were reacting in real time, right? You guys were doing a show as the deadline passed, and then it's like 3 o'clock, and it's 3.05, and it's 3.10. You're like, but still, like, there's the potential. And then, it, and then no, and then we get the email that Messiah's going to speak at 4, and that's it. What, what were you thinking uh, as, as that was happening, Will? I was thinking, you know, why do we agree to have this on TV? This is just a lot of reactions of us looking really confused and kind of stupid, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there was a good... I don't think anyone really foresaw this one, right? I think we really had like two months of speculation about pretty much everybody on the roster. And it the only... I think consistent point was sort of just that the Raptors will probably look to retool and all the retooling we really got was a, a sort of a win now addition by adding Jacoperto into this mix. And look, I'm sure you guys have discussed the merits of Jacoperto. We know that, you know, the Raptors have not had a center for a while. And I think that, you know, he is definitely somebody who can step into the rotation and play. I mean, what are the reports that, that he literally had breakfast at OVO <laughs> yeah. this morning? He's, he got to be thrilled. I'm sure he's thrilled. Um, didn't even have to leave um, to go to, uh, to to his next destination with San Antonio. So, you know, I think he could definitely contribute. I think that the other concerns are probably just like the same questions we've been asking ourselves, right? What are, What is the future of certain guys in Toronto? What's the future of Fred? What's the future of OG? What's the future of Gary? Who, by the way, I was just down there with Gary, you know, had a little chat with him as well. He seemed pretty excited. He was actually really stoked. I, it was no like, you know, I, I don't think there was any um, sense of like, uh, confusion like the rest of us. You know, I think I was a little confused. Maybe I even brought some of that energy to him, but he was just very, very positive, man. He's like, look, listen, we're very committed to winning. I think this trade deadline says that. And he's like, you know what? He's excited to play with Jakob Pertl. So I'm just like, all right. You know what? Like, I, I could see this working out. Um, but at the same time, I still have huge questions about sort of how this roster is going to look um, going forward because I think we were all expecting this huge uh, change up here. And, and, and really all we got was a, a win now piece and Yak's going to help do that. But um, to what degree are the Raptors going to win and how much is that going to be meaningful when you think about the long-term evaluations on these guys? Yeah. What, to what end is he helping make this team better? You know, pushes them from uh, a play in team to a non play in team. Cool. It pushes them from a first round team to a second round team. Cool. But the, the questions were still left with, and maybe they couldn't have been answered today without a, a big blow up anyway, is how does this team get back to uh, a championship level of contention? Now, maybe that's a, a little ways away. So, um, so will let, let's, Let's give the benefit of the doubt that there, there's a an idea of what the offseason looks like and, and how to run this all back and that they weighed what the schedule looks like and how they've played the last little bit and said, you know what, it's probably not all that realistic that will bottom out worse than the Pacers and, and the Thunder and the Jazz and teams like that. So, you know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here, but let's say that's what their internal evaluation said. And, and so then they're looking at, what it could look like the rest of the season trying to push into that playoff race. Um, Give us a little bit of, I mean, like what is the thing, first of all, you're most excited about to see Jakob Pertl help change for this team. And, and, you know, does it unlock some other stuff that we've been waiting to see change as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how that impacts things defensively for the Raptors. You know, um, but like as you know, like you know, the the Raptors do a lot of overhelping in the paint, and there's a lot of uh, accommodating f- uh, for the fact that they don't traditionally have a seven footer down there, and there's a lot of doubling. And look, listen, I think my suspicion with a Nick Nurse led you know uh, team is always that they will try to be innovative and, and and bring two to the ball and force turnovers. I don't think that necessarily changes, but I do think they have different options of how they want to play now. And whether that's more traditional in terms of single coverage, whether that's regular drop coverage with the big and try to keep help on a pick and roll to a minimum, uh, you know, I think those are options that they didn't have prior to Jacoproto on the roster. Now I think they do have that aspect. You know, it's also interesting listening to you know Masai's presser on um, you know on radio or, or on our drive over to uh, to the court, and I was listening to Masai, and I was very surprised to hear him say very transparently over and over again that the Raptors had some issues in terms of selfishness. And I don't know necessarily that Jacoproto comes in and you know he sets everyone up and everyone is thrilled, but I do know that he is a guy who you know over the course of his career he's never really played selfishly. He's always been a guy who sets up other guys, and you know I think there are aspects of his game that you can bring to the roster in terms of helping foster some of that you know uh, selflessness. You know Nick Nurse always talks about next action basketball, which is you know let's say you have twenty four seconds on the shot clock, you bring the ball up in three seconds, you got twenty one seconds left to work with. Can you work on a pick and roll on one side of the floor, and if that doesn't work, can you get into the next action? Can you get someone coming off a of screen here or there? And you probably, you know, the best offenses can get into three, four actions within that time. And really, it's about having somebody in the middle of the floor who can sort of toggle between that. You know, San Antonio did a lot of that with Proto in the middle of the floor. So I'm curious to see, you know, his screening, his passing, and stuff like that can help contribute to the offense. Because, you know, it, Masai was fairly transparent, as he always is. And, you know, he, he did talk about the selfless, the selfishness on the team. And to be honest, we've seen Masai here for almost a decade. I've never really heard him talk that much publicly about the team being selfish. And so whatever they can do to help ease that or help solve that um, will be great because I think that's one of the bigger reasons behind why the results on the, the, the paper have not really matched with the talent on the team. That's a great way to thread, Will, how an addition like Jakob Pertle can help with some of that selfishness. And also, you know, I think people immediately look to three-point shooting when it comes to juicing the half-court offense a little bit. But you just laid out why a guy like this who just does different things and gives you different looks and can connect different pieces and different plays together um, can help your offense as well. And that's before getting to the fact that, you know, he's one of the premier offensive rebounders uh, in the league as well. And then defensively, you and I have talked I don't know, week after week on the Raptor show with William Liu about how much a rim protector would help back there. Um, So this isn't really related to what Masai said today, but projecting ahead, let's say the Jakob Pertle fit makes sense and it looks good the rest of the season here. And like we said, the, the Raptors maybe can't bottom out enough. So they're in the playoff mix. I don't think they're sniffing Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. They seem to have Cleveland's number a little bit, but on paper, certainly, and by performance, by a long shot, Cleveland's been a better team. Um, But when you look at, hey, Brooklyn took a step back. New York didn't add as aggressively as we maybe thought. The Heat did like nothing. Uh, They signed a guy to a 10 day, um, which is, is cool. Like the Sioux Falls Skyforce beat writers probably pumped about that. But the team's around them and ahead of them in the Eastern conference really didn't do much. Um, Could you see this team? Maybe they can't make up the ground, but could you see this team, you know, being at least annoying come playoff time, come play in tournament time? 
Oh, are you kidding me? Of course they're going to be annoying. Have you seen the Toronto But annoying they... in a threatening way. <laughs> oh, they even annoy their own fans. I yeah. mean, like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> getting getting swept with four fake comebacks yeah. where you where you full court press the entire fourth quarter. No, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, I, I don't think they're knocking off one of the top seeds, but let's say they yeah. do get a series with, with Cleveland, or let's say they're in a play-in situation with the, the Knicks and Atlanta and, and the Bulls. Like, do you like the way the Raptors stack up? And, no, and nobody cared about this before today, but it's a situation we're in now. Do you like how the Raptors stack up against that middle chunk of the Eastern Conference now? Yeah, I mean, I've always liked the matchup with Cleveland, um, just based on the three games that the Raptors have played them this season. I think that um, now that you've kept OG through the deadline, obviously he's a great guy to throw at someone like Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, and of course, now you actually have more size to contend in the middle. Um, and so... I, I obviously the Raptors have what it takes to be annoying in a playoff series. I, I, to be honest, you know, that's why you pay Nick. There's a lot of money, right? Because he he's able to concoct these like very, very creative ways to play defense. And hopefully the buy-in is there from everybody. Again, that, that really comes down to the selfishness and the selflessness and all that kind of stuff. But if the buy-in is there, like the talent is also there. Like really, when you think about the, you know, if the Raptors had made this move in the off season, for example, I mean, it probably would still be a little bit, unsatisfactory just because it's like why did we give up a first round pick but whatever that's the price that you want to get for a a starting center who you weren't going to be able to sign in the first place without getting his bird rights in the first place i understand it to that degree and if it was at the start of the season you thought about well well we just lost a six-game playoff series in the first round of philadelphia one of the main reasons is we had literally nobody to throw at joel Embiid. well now you have a center that you can at least not throw at Joel Embiid and lock him down. That would be ridiculous. That's not what Jakob Porto is here to do, and don't expect that. But at least you have addressed that weakness in your roster. That At that time, it would make sense. Now, the issue is you've, we've gone through 56 games of the season, and the Raptors are four games under 500, and we've seen a lot of these games. Not just the record itself, but the way they've lost some of these games have been really harrowing and very annoying to watch. Um, so the, res- the, the the record for this season is what it is. It's probably going to artificially limit um, how high they can even get in the standings, especially because they have some really tough games uh, coming up in, in March and April. But I think for the team, it, it's about assessing how this group looks right now. And then you make the decisions going into the offseason. I think the other thing that really stood out from Masai, and it's not surprising when we've seen him in the, uh, over the years in Toronto, he really doesn't like to make long-term decisions. At the trade deadline, he, he said explicitly that, you know, the, the trade deadline is not a good time to make long-term decisions on your roster. And I get that. You're right. You want to see how they play through it. You want to see how this group uh, operates. You had a, a core here that you really liked. I think everyone really liked at, at coming into last uh, the start of the season. And, of course, a couple of things didn't work with it. One of the potential solutions would be to add a starting center to this group. They've done that. And then you continue to see, okay, does this fix it? If that doesn't fix it, then you really, really have played yourself into a corner in the offseason where you have to make some very tough decisions. And instead of getting a couple of pieces back, you know, right now as an expiring for Fred, for, for Gary, for OG, I guess OG's not expiring, but you know what yeah. I mean. Like, you can make some of that decisions in the offseason with sign and trades, but you're probably going to get even less than you were potentially offered here at the deadline. So I don't know. I, I think for me, like I understand why he did it, but at the same time, like there's a reason why it feels so weird and kind of unsatisfactory. Like I think that, you know, a lot of people are kind of already done with this group. And I think the front office has chosen to be a little bit more patient with it. And we'll see like what the wisdom of the situation is after the fact. But for now, at least I understand it from their perspective. They're like, look, we want to give them one last chance and we, we give you a center to with this group. And hopefully, you know, we see something that we can actually move forward with.
Yeah, you saw an off-ramp here for a couple of guys because, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I guess there is a mathematical way to make it work where you re-sign everybody, but, yeah, you bring back a team that doesn't have a championship ceiling. I have a thought experiment for both of you because, I mean, if this team had just played to expectations, what were expectations? I mean, getting out of the plan, like being a six or a five seed. I know on an earlier show this year, I talked about how they, they to me, Felt like a, a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, and then a lot of things happened, and uh, now they're not that. But if they had just played to expectations, right, which was not a championship ceiling, but but a good team, um, not at the high end of, of the Eastern Conference, despite the pending decisions that were coming with Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., nobody would have been saying, you got to trade those guys at the deadline, right? Because you would make another run. Now, what I mean, the end result could be the same. Like, they could end up in a six seed here, Will. And I think all the hand-wringing that's happening now, it, it, it focuses on those two guys in particular because it's hard to env- envision a scenario where both guys are signed as free agents for a team without a championship ceiling. But, it, I mean, if that's true, then the decision should have been made last offseason, should it not? Yeah, no, I, I hear it. I, I hear that. I think that they, there is some wisdom at least like seeing how it goes, right? And of course, the 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 I guess where the true wisdom would really stand is like after you've seen how it works and how it doesn't work, how do you respond to that? And and clearly they've chosen to just add to it and, and stick with it one more time. I think, again, most people would have been out on this already. Um, and it does really limit their options in the offseason, right? Are, are there, we know this is not going to be a luxury tax-paying team. And, of course, a lot of these guys are already looking for deals that are bigger than the ones that they currently have and also bigger than what the Raptors might potentially be able to budget for. Like, Blake has already broken down the numbers. Yeah. And, you know, it, it will be very, very hard to sign all three of these key free agents here in addition to filling out the rest of your roster, especially because even if you retain the whole entire group, as you mentioned, this is not a championship type of team. But at the same time, I think for the Raptors, like, look, you know, you can you could still see, you know, if if there's something here that that really works. And I, I guess suppose that that means this season and probably next season as well. And, you know, if you're able to re-sign some of those guys to longer term deals and as long as they're not like outrageous deals, which I don't think they will be, they still will have some trade value at that time as well. So I, I'm not necessarily too worried. I think the worst case scenario here is it doesn't work right now. And yeah. then you go into the offseason and guys walk without a sign and trade. Then we should really, really be looking at Masai and Bobby and asking, well, not even hard questions, because I think that's what they got today, but even harder questions, because that would be unacceptable in terms of asset management. Are you more or less excited than you expected to go down to the arena tomorrow and, and- you know, check out what this team looks like. Talk to Jakob. But like there, there was a real, when I joined you on your show earlier, there was like a palpable disappointment in the, the net result of the mm. day. But have you gotten to a point now where you, you've shaken it off and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to, uh, ready to watch this team play and kind of dive into what the rest of the season is going to be, whether it was what you wanted or not. Yeah, the trade deadline today, I would say, was like, you know, you're you're anticipating Christmas and you come down and you open your present and like you were expecting like, I don't know, like a Game Boy and Xbox or something. And you open the present and you see like a pair of socks and you're like, wow, this is really disappointing. But then you think longer and you're like, you know what? I, I, I could probably use socks like I got to wear socks daily anyway. That's 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 Yaka Proto. That's so that's the disappointment in the trade deadline. But I think for me, it's just like, look, if they really, truly want to play better and they want to win, um, you know, this does help them address that aspect, at least in the short term. 
So for me, I'm just like, look, I'm always biased towards like wanting to see winning basketball. Now, of course, I want to see winning basketball at the highest level. And I don't really see what the Raptors path towards that is going to be. And that's where I'm confused in the bigger scheme. But I think, yeah, yeah, like the Raptors address one of their weaknesses in the roster. I'm curious to see what that means for where Scotty plays and where Precious plays in particular. I'm also really curious to see if there's enough shooting between um, Jakob Pertl, uh, Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes as a front court. Because to me, I would just leave all three of those guys open for catch-and-shoot threes. Maybe Pascal not so much when he has some legs or maybe not in the fourth quarter where Scotty really turns it on and, and is able to really knock them down. But like for me, it's like I'm not sure how it'll all work. But at least for now, I think they got more talent in the door. We can all agree that Jakob Proto is a lot better than Ken Birch. Um, so I, I guess I, I suppose like the storylines for the rest of the season for me in terms of thinking about making the show and talking about this team every day is like at least are a little bit more interesting than they were before. Um, but yeah, I don't know any of the long term questions. They were not answered here. And I don't think they were answered in the press conference either. Like, honestly, what do you guys think of Masai's like press conference to me? That's the saddest I've ever heard him in a press conference. He's usually got such a swagger about him. He's usually able to breathe fire into, you know, <laughs> everything that he says. And it really pumps up the fan base. Man, I don't know. It was the opposite of that. Like that sounded like <laughs> it sounds like me sometimes when I see the Raptors lose. It did. It, I agree with you. It, it felt, um, you know, usually Masai is very good in these moments at yeah. kind of galvanizing the people that he's speaking to, whether directly or, or through, you know, you, YouTube or, or whoever, however you're watching it. And even it, the other part of it too is like usually he he does that without really saying much. And you come away and you're like, oh, you know what? I, I believe I'm fired up. Um, and then you think about it and you're like, huh, there was like, there was nothing to that. Um, and this one was kind of the opposite where I think he did reveal, you know, some of the vulnerabilities this front office and this organization are feeling right now. And I thought, yeah, the the energy wasn't as high that, you know, there was no believe in yourself, believe in your city. There was no play in for what. It was uh, we'll reevaluate the plan. Maybe may yeah. play in for something. Yeah, and even just <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't think he thought they'd be here, and I think that maybe that could be a little humbling, especially like I bet that front office thought when this happened in the Tampa year and they got Scotty Barnes, like that was their free pass to not have to go down the route mm. of rebuilding. And so this is probably a little humbling for them and probably a little frustrating because they do believe in the pieces. Um, so that part is uh, a little tough uh, as well. But, you know, y'all can maybe help with some of that stuff on court and then in the room and stuff. Uh, Will, I know we got to let you go, but before I do, the thing I need you to find out tomorrow. So I'd imagine Jakob will talk pregame as long as everything's gone through with the trade and physicals have been passed and everything like that. Um, I remember as far back as the summer league when Pirtle and Siakam were first drafted, I'm trying to interview those guys as they're doing a signing session for their rookie cards and stuff like that. And already at that point, there was just so much smack talk between them about video games, primarily FIFA. And we've obviously mm. seen through open gym over the years, their, their battles and stuff like that. I got to know where that rivalry stands in FIFA right now. And I got to know if they've already like they've if they've already picked up the sticks between last night and tomorrow's game, I need you to find that out for me. Yeah, honestly, they're such close friends. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jacoperto crashed at Pascal's place last night. Like, well, I mean, he, it sounds you know like he I mean? was at OVO early enough this morning. He might have just crashed there. Pascal's like, hey, I'm going to practice. And, and, and Jakob said, me too. <laughs> so, no, I mean, like, look, uh, uh, at least uh, in the vibes format, I think that could help. I mean, look, listen, I, I think it's not 
that's not insignificant to me, at least, mm-hmm. right? Like they're clearly showing faith in Pascal Siakam in bringing him in. They're not just bringing in uh, Jakob Pertl because he's Pascal's friend. Um, but I do think that that really illustrates that they really do believe that there is something here, and that they really want to see Pascal take that opportunity. And listen, like this is even more this is even more pressure for Pascal because there's really a little bit less spacing on the floor for him to operate with. Mm-hmm. Although I think him and uh, Jakob Pertl clearly have a good two man game based on what they did, you know, when they were teammates. But like. It's even more pressure for him now, right? Because that's another thing where it's like, okay, you have more pieces to work with. The talent here isn't terrible. It's it's not necessarily the best fitting group because of how little shooting there is. But you have given Pascal something here that he can work with. And now you have the center. Now you have a little bit better uh, defense. How can you run this thing around? Obviously, we're talking about like there's, what, 26 games left in the season. So what is turning it around? They're probably going to end the year at best with like mid-40s with wins. And that's a really, really best case scenario. But like, Go ahead and do that, right? Like, go ahead and try to, like, keep this group together by playing better. Ultimately, Masai and Bobby, they're going to respond to what the players do on the court. And that's their job. And so, you know, for if the players want to get re-signed, if the players want to continue this core together, if they like the fact that they've been, you know, shown, uh, you know, some faith with some reinforcements, they themselves have to play together play unselfishly, put their stuff aside, and, and really focus on winning. And, and honestly, focus on getting being better defensively. Like That's the thing that's the most disappointing for the Raptors this season. How many games do you watch where they give up 120-plus points, 130-plus points? Like, this is the identity of this team is that they play hard and they defend. And for some reason, that hasn't happened to an acceptable degree. We'll see if the, you know, having a seven-footer back there is going to really you know, be the answer there. But Ultimately, like if they can play defense um, at an acceptable level, like I, I think that people will be a lot better with sort of where they are as a group. Um, but until they show that right now, um, I don't know. People are going to be wait and see. I think they really need to rip up like a five, six game winning streak to, to really sort of change a lot of people's minds. So 26 games remaining. That's 260 things from William Liu that we'll be reading <laughs> on Sportsnet.ca. Can't wait for that, Will. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya, William Liu. Of the Raptors show. Um, all right. Th- there was a number of different trades that could have happened that didn't end up happening. One of the ones that we got I, some pretty good detail on was a potential trade of Fred Van Vliet to the Los Angeles Clippers. That didn't end up happening. Um, Farbad Esnashari of uh, Sports Illustrated, Clippers reporter, uh, was on top of the potential trade between the Raptors and Clippers. He joins us right now. Farbad, how's it going? Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Perfect pronunciation of my first and last name. I'm very shocked. (laughs) Really? Okay. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to pat myself on the back there. All right. So what were you hearing as far as the the Raptors and and Clippers and and how close things got to to being consummated this afternoon? So for Fred Van Vliet, about a a week to two weeks ago, I I had kept hearing that was their ideal uh, and that, you know, that was something they really, really wanted. And then you know, in the last two weeks, things just got so crazy between Kyrie, KD, everything just starts flipping. So the Clippers are always reluctant to trade Terrence Mann. It's always been something they've been reluctant towards. And then when Kyrie kind of requested his trade to help appease Ty Lue, the Clippers, you know, put Terrence on the trade market. But they did tell him personally, hey, we're going to put you in a package for Kyrie. And so he kind of got that heads up, and then obviously they didn't end up taking it. And I guess it seems like the Clippers just didn't want to include Terrence for a trade for Fred, but would have for Kyrie. And I think they were trying to navigate any way they could to get that trade off without including Terrence. 
but there was just no way to let that happen. Um, and Ka- Kawhi's also been pretty vocal about wanting to get a point guard, so it's kind of crazy that they finished the deadline without getting a starting point guard. They were busy, though, at least. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it's been very funny here, Farbad, because, you know, a, as far back as the Raptors championship season, Lawrence Frank is hanging around and, and already tampering for, for the Clippers to get Kawhi. And then they get Kawhi and then also Serge at one point and Norman Powell. And there have been a number of ex-Raptors who land there. And it doesn't go that way just yet but we also heard um at at least for a little bit there were some rumblings and i know you you kind of shot down one specific thing uh earlier today on your twitter feed but i had heard earlier in the week as well that you know maybe a kyle lowry scenario whether by buyout or or a long shot trade was a possibility um what is what do the clippers look like from a point guard perspective from here or are eric gordon and bones highland as extra shooting guard pieces uh going to be enough here I don't think it's going to be enough because when you look at the Clippers, they do this thing where they just go scoreless because they shoot a bunch of jumpers and then they just lose within a quarter. It happened against the Mavericks yesterday. Paul George took 20 shots. Three of them were at the rim. So it's pretty clear there are times where they need somebody to settle the offense down and you know navigate where people need to be instead of just let everybody fling up a bunch of jumpers. I know they, I know they wanted Kyle Lowry uh, before he signed with the Heat. What was that, like two years ago or mm-hmm. a year ago? Uh, they, they wanted him then, and I had talked to some of the people with the front office at that point, and they knew Kyle was trying to get three years, $90 million. So they're just like, we're, there's no way we're going to go for that. At that time, I think the, it was right around the time the Clippers traded for Rondo. It was around that time. That, that was when they were interested in Kyle, was right before the Clippers got Rondo, because they've been enamored with the idea of getting a point guard for the last three to four years. Um, and then once Kyle went to Miami, I'm sure that the interest was still there, but I think now there's more concern on his knee and it's more of a situation of how much do we realistically want to give for a guy that may not be all that there. I had heard that in, in his situation in Miami, he wasn't the biggest fan of what was going on. Maybe it could be a thing where he has a better situation in LA and he plays with Kawhi. His game could improve because that's something the Clippers have been very good at, but it just didn't work with John Wall. But, yeah, it, in terms of the Clippers, it also definitely looks like they're trying to create the Raptors 2.0. Whether that is coming from Kawhi or whether that's coming from Lawrence Frank, it's kind of the agenda is kind of clear. Mm. Um, and in terms of a point guard, there is legitimate interest in Russell Westbrook. I had texted some new, I had texted multiple people in the organization and there is real conversation about getting Russell Westbrook in a buyout, but I don't know if that like fit wise, that is a very strange fit. If they already didn't like having John wall in terms of, because of the shot selection. So it's the next couple days are going to show whether it's Russ or Patrick Beverly or who it ends up being, but none of it is going to move the needle to compete with the Suns. That might be like, it almost feels like nobody pulled the haymaker this year to compete with the Suns. The Warriors did it, the Clippers did it, and they may be waiting for next year to see how the Suns perform this year. So in terms of rounding out the the Raptors 2.0 here, uh, it sounds like Serge Ibaka and Terrence Ross, among others, will be uh, freed (laughs) via buyout. Are you looking at either of those guys? Is Kawhi making some calls or what? I don't think Serge would come back. I mean, Serge, like, he came, he got, he lost his starting spot to 
and to Zubats, and then he came and then lost his secondary spot to Isaiah Hartenstein. Like I, I felt bad for Serge. I, I have a hard time thinking he would come back, but I'd be. I mean, everybody likes being in LA, and he had his cooking show that was being pitched to actual TV networks when he was in LA. So mm. maybe he does, but I have a hard time thinking about it, considering just how his his playing time was diminished when he came. Yeah, no, uh, this company bought one of his uh, his cooking shows. Uh, Farbod, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for this. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, Farbod Esnashari, Sports Illustrated Clippers reporter. Yeah, I'm not sure about the fit for, for Russ uh, in Los Angeles with the Clippers. I'm not sure of the, the fit for Russ with any team with aspirations of winning anything. As he's traded away from the Lakers that were calling him a vampire. Um, as far as the energy that he was sucking out of that Lakers team and he's going to be bought out and he's going to be available for all and he's going to the Hall of Fame one day like it's unassailable but holy cow late season or late career narrative for Russell Westbrook is a a bit of a rough one it is and it's a it's unfortunate because I mean first of all the Lakers have done the the very Boston thing here and the second he's gone um, bury him and kick dirt on him on his way out. All yeah. it's like getting a vampire out of the out of the locker room. Look, man, Russ, Russell Westbrook did not trade himself there. He did not sign himself to that supermax contract. Yeah, he can be a curmudgeonly guy. He can be a little hard headed by all accounts. He also embraced the move to the bench, had established himself as a six man of the year candidate, had changed his game fundamentally, you know, not in a, I'm going to knock down threes and be a three and D guard. But as far as Russell Westbrook goes, he tried and you don't acquire Russell Westbrook without anticipating at least a, a little bit of Russell Westbrook's personality to come out. So to have him do that, to have him more or less play the part that you eventually had to ask him to play and then you deal them in a deal. That's a really good deal for your team. You get three really good pieces back and it doesn't cost you both of those deep future picks unprotected. And then you feel the need to kick dirt on them on the way out. I I don't love that. Um, I would love a scenario where he lands somewhere and gets to play meaningful playoff basketball. And and this last act for him sees him find, uh, you know, the right mix of, of role and opportunity. I'm not optimistic it it happens, but I would really like that for him as a longtime wrestler. Oh, I can't be the Clippers though, right? No, like, who are like running out of time here as no and Kawhi's, not, and Paul George are only guaranteed one more year beyond this. Yeah, and it's uh, I mean maybe you do it because you want to try something. They did get rid of Reggie Jackson in the Plumlee trade, so they're even more point guard thin now than they were. But that to me, I don't know, and I don't know Russell Westbrook personally. Like, does he want a spot where? Like, is his version of sticking it to the Lakers and to the naysayers landing somewhere where he can play 25 minutes a game and contribute to a deep playoff run? Or is it going somewhere and continuing to put up Russell Westbrook numbers and, you know, continuing to to build that Hall of Fame case and compete with LeBron for the triple-double record and things like that? Like, I don't, I don't know personally what that would be like for him. But this is a guy who's top 10 all time in assists now. And uh, yeah, yeah he's going to the hall of fame. Yeah. Like I, I would like a, a nice twilight act here for Russell Westbrook. Now that he's free of the contract stuff. Yeah. That has always been an albatross around him. 
Yeah, well, that's another thing. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So well, he's, he's going to be a free agent momentarily. You're right. That's true as well. Um, before we move off the Clippers thing, what do you think of the the proposed trade that the Clippers turned down for Fred VanVleet? What we what we saw, what was reported by Farbod was that Fred VanVleet, um, the Raptors were looking for Terrence Mann and a first round pick, and the Clippers said thanks, but no thanks. They weren't willing to include Terrence Mann in that deal. What do you make of that? It's a little tough. Um, I wonder if their front office looks at, like you just said, the the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard timelines and sees that they don't own their 2024 first, they don't own their 2026 first, they owe pick swaps in 2023 and 2025. So not only is 2028 the next first round pick you can give up, but like there's a real chance that you are bad yeah. in 2028. And I wonder if they learn some of their lessons of, you know, continuing to trade young players with upside for more established guys. Um, it, it is a little weird looking at the totality of their day because Terrence Mann has established himself as a starting quality shooting guard for them. Um, you know, he, he's taken a bit of a step back statistically this year, um, but he's like a reliable rotation piece. They also, though, went out and got Bones Highland and Eric Gordon, who play very similar roles. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how that how that plays out. Like maybe their answer to point guard now is, well, Kawhi or PG are effectively the point guard on offense, and we'll have a couple smaller two guards play the two three for spacing. I'm not really sure. Um, but had you told me the Clippers went out and got Bones Highland and um, and Eric Gordon today and they didn't give up one of those firsts and they didn't give up Terrence Mann, I would have said, well, yeah, they must have used Terrence Mann to – get a power forward or a point guard. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of shooting guards around Kawhi and Paul George. Now a lot of guys who can score. I don't know. The, the pieces there fit a little weirdly. I I probably pulled the trigger on that one. If I'm the Clippers. Yeah. I'm surprised I didn't. Um, All right. Let's take one more break. And when we come back, I mean, there's so much uh, that happened today. And like in the wee hours of the morning Mm -hmm. that we haven't gotten to, we've got world baseball classic rosters now too. And Canada's (laughs) is not good. It's really not. Uh, yeah, we've got that. We have, we have numbers on Bo Bichette as well. We've got Kyle Dubas doing a media availability today. Austin Matthews doing a media availability today. We have a, a defenseman being signed for multiple years. Uh, yeah, the, there's a lot to get to in, in the mere moments that remain in this program. Rapid fire. So, yeah, a lot of that is coming up next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The opportunity was not there for us for Blockbuster Trade. It's, it's really... Um, not a great place to make long-term decisions. And that's, that's how um, one of the ways we looked at it in terms of some of the things we were getting. There was Toronto Raptors president of basketball operations, Masai Ujiri. It is the fan drive time, NBA trade deadline edition. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Blake, you, this has been a long day for you, mm-hmm. as it is for everybody that's on like the NBA beat you're doing great hanging in there doing spectacularly well thanks uh 
<laughs> you know, we haven't. We've got spreadsheets are in disarray. That's uh, all right. You got time for some uh, data input later. Um, we've gotten the entire program naturally focusing on the Raptors, but have not mentioned the the biggest earth shattering trade that that happened in the NBA in the early morning hours of Kevin Durant. You know, like how have we not mentioned this? Because honestly, for me, it feels like it was four days ago. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I was up last night when it happened. I, I was on the hood. Like, Will Lou and I hopped on a phone call just to be like, what the heck yeah. is going on? Um, but that feels like so long ago. And I guess because I already discussed it on the morning show and, and breakfast television 12 hours ago, um, it feels way in the rear view. Uh, but yeah, it is... Kevin Durant getting traded again. It is the Brooklyn Nets trading away a star that they sold a lot of pieces to try to get in the first place. It is a brand new owner making a huge splash. And return-wise, it is arguably the biggest trade package that we've ever seen. Yeah, four first-round picks and a pick swap in, in 2028. And, and in, you know, there's some good players also going back. Mikhail all, Bridges. All unprotected. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson. Uh, they turned around and moved Jay Crowder for yeah. five second-round picks. So you can include that as part of the return it's wild. It's very wild. And it was, okay, part of the reason we were having a difficult time pinning down exactly the the value of the Raptors asset in trade, and we had this discussion yesterday, was the specter of a Kevin Durant trade in the offseason and everybody wanting to keep their powder dry. Ends up happening that the Durant trade happens with plenty of time for everybody else to react, to get their ducks in order, right? And if you're a Memphis if you're a New Orleans to understand that it just got that much tougher to get out of a Western conference and that maybe that drives the price up for an OG Ananobi and not that I, I, either of those teams had realistic hopes of landing Kevin Durant. I mean, that that didn't end up panning out the way I would have expected it to, honestly, Blake. It really didn't. And you look around the league at what teams did and it was, you know, there wasn't that level of response portland actually turned around and well the timing kind of lined up uh, the same but they turned around and traded josh hart mm-hmm. to the knicks so portland ostensibly got worse we saw minnesota and the lakers involved in that three-teamer where yeah utah has taken a step out of this play and race here um minnesota is probably slightly worse uh mm. the lakers got uh significantly better I, I think and then you look and well denver addressed their backup center need with thomas bryant from the lakers but they also traded bones highland away and that doesn't make you know a ton of sense for a team that's in win now mode unless that relationship just got uh completely untenable clippers got a little bit better but again they balked at the prices on the the guys at the top of the market. So I think if you're Phoenix today and, and Memphis's only move was uh, turning Danny Green's contract into Luke Kennard, who's a nice piece and, and they need half court offense, but that's not a very good contract. And, and I don't know how many minutes he's going to be able to carve out on that team. So, um, and then golden state's biggest move was trimming like a hundred million dollars in luxury tax obligations yeah. by turning James Wiseman into, you know, Kevin Knox, and then by proxy of a, a trickle-down trade, Gary Payton the second is back there, yes. which is very cool. <laughs> but none of, and New Orleans added Josh Richardson, but none of these teams made a move anywhere close to what you would expect if, like, if you really thought you could beat the KD Phoenix Suns, some, one of those teams would have been more aggressive with this. The Lakers were the closest thing to it, but they're also the furthest away 
from matching the sun. So if you're, if you're the Suns, if you're new owner, Maddish Bia, not only are you thrilled to have gotten Kevin Durant, you're thrilled that nobody took the bait on, you know, getting into an arms race with you. Yeah, that's it. So I was going to ask you how you view the hierarchy in the Western Conference right now, which we talked about being so flat and every game being so important because there's so many teams that can convince themselves of having a title shot, which doesn't necessarily change. And Kevin Durant at the moment is is injured, but when he plays, looks pretty Kevin Durant-like. Uh, the Lakers, man, seemingly got a whole lot better and put themselves back into a, a relevant position in the Western Conference. But they got to start winning some basketball games like immediately starting tonight against the, the Milwaukee Bucks to get themselves at least into a play-in position, which they are not currently in. And who knows about uh, LeBron James's health status after he leaves on, on Tuesday night with the foot injury. Uh, the Warriors are without Steph Curry for multiple weeks. Like, how do you view the West now after all the dust has settled? The, the, the trade deadline is now passed. And one team totally changed its perception, and the the Suns were underperforming to a great degree. They've been dealing with injuries, though, significant ones for the majority of the season. Like, the West seemingly has one team now above all others, and it's not the team that's at the top of the standing. Especially when we look at what a playoff rotation looks like and what wins in the playoffs. Like, Memphis is this phenomenal depth team. Yeah they got to tighten the rotation at some point. And the guy they just added as their lone deadline move is probably someone who's getting squeezed from that rotation come playoff time for defensive reasons. Now, maybe their offense, maybe their half court offense just needs him so badly that um, he does find his way to playoff minutes, but man, I, and I'm, I'm fairly disappointed in new Orleans just because man, if you have a healthy Zion in the playoffs and you didn't do much like Josh, Josh Richardson, a nice piece, but he's, but on every team in the league over the last like 36 months. It's not like you didn't have uh, draft assets to trade away. You had all of them. Uh, you traded four second round picks for him. <laughs> you could have thrown five more at someone. Um, so I, I think, yeah, when it comes to playoff basketball, I think the Suns are in a class of their own at the top of that conference right now. Mm-hmm. I think Dallas, the Clippers and the Warriors have enough high level players that you, you kind of, look at them as their own tier of like, well, if they get there healthy and can avoid all the infighting, I still think Denver and Memphis are better teams than those three that I just mentioned, like all of them except Phoenix, but they're also teams that have notable flaws that they did not address at the deadline, uh, or at least to the degree that I would have liked to see it. Uh, It's also a Memphis team. That's not super experienced come playoff time, which, you know, a Western conference this tight uh, might, end up being uh, an issue. So I think it's Phoenix on top. And then, you know, I would, I would still have Denver mm-hmm. second after that. Like they've just been so much better than everyone else in that conference so far. And yeah. Jokic is unbelievable. Uh, and then after that, it's a big old crapshoot of, can your vets stay healthier? Can your young guys learn on the fly? Uh, the Suns now employ three of the top five two-point jump shot shooters over the last three seasons. They are the masters of, of the, the mid-range. Kevin Durant second, uh, Devin Booker three, Chris Paul five, and all shooting around 50%. Uh, number one, obviously, DeMar DeRozan. You mentioned James Wiseman in there that, that they gave up on him, and I, I, it feels like a lot of it was a financially driven considering he's, what, owed $15 million next year, but like the, the, the luxury tax savings – are massive. This is a guy that's only a couple years removed from being the second overall pick, Blake. I got. I, I know it hasn't happened for him, and there were questions about him coming, um, uh, being drafted that high. Um, that's pretty early to give up on a guy with 
with that kind of pedigree, with that kind of like draft equity in. It feels early to give up on him, but this is his third season, which means come October, not only would you have already paid the luxury tax freight on having him on the roster for one, for this year, you're talking extension time mm-hmm. in October, and you're certainly not in a place if you're the Warriors to to get into that. And then otherwise, you're going into to RFA territory where he would very likely walk, and at least they turned him into five seconds. And uh, everyone got traded for five second round picks today. Yeah. Um, they did turn him into some seconds that they can flip later. And again, like fans don't care about the money that teams make or don't make, but Bobby Marks and John Hollinger had estimated that in certain scenarios where Draymond Green picks up his option next year, this could have been worth between salary and luxury tax payments well over $100 million. That's a lot. Uh, the Nets also saved themselves about $100 million today, uh, as you would <laughs> expect, because uh, no use spending into the luxury tax for that team who doesn't control their own picks from here until the rest of time. But yeah, recoup some of those, I would say, uh, quite a few. Uh, but yeah, they're counting on the, the Suns to, to fall down to earth. All right, so you mentioned... Uh, the Canadian World Baseball Classic team was announced today. Otto Lopez, baby. Yeah, and we knew he'd be part of the team. And that's no offense to Otto Lopez. Um, but, yeah, not a lot of star power. I was happy to see at least Tyler O'Neill is named to the roster. Mm-hmm. There's a question about his availability there. Um, there's some star power. I'd say the, the majority of it exists in the pitching side of things. And I'm not talking about guys who used to be high, highly touted prospects like Philippe Beaumont. Cal Quantrill and Nick Pavetta in there. But ultimately, this is uh, a bunch of scrappy underdogs, I would say. No Joey Votto also, it should be noted, uh, who's working his way back from that shoulder surgery, working on his chest career as well. Yes, his chest career. The shoulders are well enough to lift those pieces, a little lat raise at a time. Uh, It's not a great group. My guy, John Axford, is going to be pitching in it as well, which is cool. We've done Um, that before, too, like the guys that have retired and come back and played in this this tournament for Canada. It's cool. There are different levels of cool World Baseball Classic teams, and one of those is, hey, let's remember some guys, the roster, (laughs) and that is what this Canada team is probably going to be. And then you look at the Dominican team, and the Puerto Rican team, and they are some of the single greatest baseball teams ever assembled. It's like, ah, yeah, there are uh, different ways to approach, different ways to appreciate, rather, the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. All right. Uh, Also, Bobichet's numbers have now been reported. The three-year deal worth $33.6 million guaranteed, according to Ken Rosenthal, but escalators and awards can bring the total to as much as 40.65 million dollars uh can also adding this bichette's deal covers his three arbitration seasons the guarantee is for more than the following left side infielders receiving going into a year in their three years of arb he's getting more than rafael devers got than josh donaldson manny machado trevor story xander bogarts carlos correa and trey turner so ultimately hard to argue if you're Bo bichette uh hard to say Man, I got it in for this organization. They didn't treat me right with this three-year deal. Good number. Yeah. Good number. And, the, you know, the incentive aspect of it, I mean, it kind of simulates the ARB process, right? Like, hey, here's your 33.6 downside. And if you perform at a level that maybe you'd be kicking yourself after for not going through the ARB process, well, we got you covered with like $7 million in uh, upward incentives there as well. I think, you know, like we talked about yesterday with BNS, it's a good way to 
it's just good to find that middle ground on, hey, we could see roughly eye to eye on what your value is. And then I like the element of the incentives there to just, you know, leave a little bit of that window for, you know, prove them or, or the upside that, that Bo could have sought in ARB. Now, um, knowing those numbers, we now know that that's about a 11.2 that'll count against the CBT instead of the 5 or 7.5. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it costs the Jays about somewhere between four and six and a half million to get this deal done when it comes to uh, what they'll be taxed on. Uh, and Kyle Dubas coming in under the radar on NBA trade deadline day, doing his first media availability since the all-star break, since the Toronto Maple Leafs had their bye week, which ends officially tomorrow in Columbus against a really bad Blue Jackets team as they start the unofficial second half of their season with back-to-back games, which means that we're going to see Joe Wall in one of those games, mm-hmm. I would We're imagine. Gonna see him a while, for a little bit. Yeah, because Matt Murray is still out, but uh, also signing Connor Timmons to a two-year contract extension with an average annual value of $1.1 bucks. So early returns on that, I mean, just the play on the ice and then, mm-hmm. you know, having a guy that's willing to sign up for a very manageable cap hit, pretty good deal, it would appear. Yeah, um, Matt Murray to the IR is the the other thing there. Austin Matthews will remain out for a little bit. Uh, Murray sounds like he's th- he's still weeks away. Uh, so that's what I mean when I, I say Wall will get a, a couple looks here. And yeah, Timmons, I mean, I think he's shown you enough that you figure he's, uh, he's in your defensive mix next year pretty clearly. And if he has to go to the AHL, it's not going to cost you a fortune. All right, time now for Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game here are your updated nba championship odds the boston celtics leading the way plus 340 and pulling into second position the phoenix suns at plus 450 milwaukee bucks plus 500 denver nuggets plus 600 76ers plus a thousand the clippers plus 1200 the grizzlies plus 1400 same as the warriors also plus 1400 Cavs plus 2,000 and the Kyrie Luka Doncic Mavericks who won their first game without Luka Doncic Mm -hmm. um, and the debut of Kyrie Irving are plus 2,000. And that was Last Call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Are you going to have another coffee before you go to sleep tonight, Blake? No, I had four today. That's that's about the max. I am going to have a different beverage when i get home well you've earned it pal well done all right we'll be back tomorrow 90 minute show as we get you set for leafs and blue jackets this has been the fan drive time sportsnet 590 the fan